everybody in here knows someone or has personally been touched by divorce. I mean, it's, it's something that's very, very common, unfortunately, right? But it's also been like a big topic of debate in churches and, and with Christian people in general. Uh, and a lot of Christians, as a result, are confused about it, and some just flat out misrepresent it. Because there are some Christians who treat divorced people like they're cursed for life. It's like they have the scarlet letter, you know, oh my gosh, they're divorced. You know, there's, there's that, that group of people. We'll discuss them a little bit more later. Uh, and then there's others that feel like, you know, hey, Jesus' words are outdated. I mean, it's no big deal. It's a Bible option. I mean, it seems like there's two different schools of thought on that. But what both sides need to remember is divorce is not about religion. It's about people. It's about people. And, and divorce really, really does a lot of damage in people's lives. As we're going to see in today's message, Jesus is very, very clear on this topic, as was God. Uh, in Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 16, we'll just look at the 216a there. It says, for I hate divorce. What does he say? I what? For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. So God hates divorce, and he hates it at the very root of the word. Because the very root of the word means to send away. It means to send away, Right? And sending someone away or giving up on someone is against God's very nature. So you can see why God didn't like this at all. As a matter of fact, it said that he hated it. And if he doesn't give up on anybody, he really would like us to not give up on anybody. Imagine how, imagine how displeasing it is to him when we are so willing to give up, right? Because here's the thing. Divorce makes you become somebody you're not. Wouldn't you all agree? There's times that when you go through a divorce, you find you don't like who you're becoming or you don't like who your ex is becoming, right? I mean, you've never been more unlike Jesus than when divorce starts to turn your heart because Jesus loves and he offers grace and he seeks to restore everyone, even his enemies, right? Even his enemies. Divorce separates you from people. It, it's a, it, it gives you a heart that wants to attack and, and sometimes it even, depending on the lawyer, makes you want to destroy people. You know what I mean? Have you seen that? People say, hey, go see this lawyer. He will destroy your ex. You ever hear people talk like that? I mean, it's just, it's very, very painful, right? So uh, I think it's important that we look at this and, and be honest about it because I think it's time that Christian people start to remember that divorce can destroy lives. And even if we can't stop people from getting divorced, we can love them and offer grace to them and seek to restore them because it can do so much damage. So let's just jump right in. Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 1. It said, when Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, what? Testing him. Testing him. And asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for what? Any reason at all. Okay, so the Pharisees' main goal was to find some way to trap Jesus concerning the law, even the Mosaic law, because they wanted him gone. They wanted to find a reason to put him to death, find a reason to shut him up, to kind of cool off his popularity, to keep people from hearing his message. I mean, that was their main goal. And when they saw him come to town and people are coming to him to hear of his wisdom and people are coming to him to be healed, they saw this as an opportunity to test him again. So they asked him about divorce. And they, that was very strategic, because at that time, even the rabbis of that time didn't agree 
on divorce. Even the rabbis at that time kind of had a battle going about divorce. See, there were some rabbis who were more liberal about it and like, that's eh, not really that big a deal. And there were some rabbis that were, I mean, conservative to the point of just radical. They, did, they just thought it was terrible. And, and they knew that even the rabbis couldn't agree on it. So they figured, listen, no matter how he answers this, he's going to tick somebody off. Right? Because there's two different sides. They're both passionate. So I, this is the perfect question to ask. You know, it's going to make somebody mad. Right? Now, does that sound kind of familiar? Because no matter what, today, no matter, no matter how you feel about divorce, you're going to make somebody mad. It's, it's actually, I almost feel sometimes when people come to me for counseling about divorce, I almost feel like, am I being trapped here? Are, are you setting me up to yell at me? Because if you are, I don't, uh, don't want to. You know what I mean? Because they're the same mindsets exist today. Some people think it's no big deal. Some people think it's terrible. But not much has changed. And the churches fight over this. Some are saying, oh my gosh, that stuff's so outdated. Why do you guys still worry about what Jesus said about divorce? It's a totally different thing now. Jesus didn't know there'd be properties to divide up. Seriously, I heard him say that. Yeah, except, you know, he's, you know, God and, and stuff. So he probably did, you know. They're like, Jesus, you know, back in that time, there weren't lawyers. And I'm like, yeah, there were lawyers back then. Please read before you speak, you know. So there's still people that act like it's no big deal. And then there's these religious people who I don't, I mean, I've told you this a thousand times. I don't, I don't like churchy people, churchy religious people. They drive me nuts. There's a reason the churchy religious people crucified Christ. You know what I mean? But these churchy religious people, I've literally seen them almost destroy a believer because they've gone through a divorce. I mean, they act like it's equal to blasphemy. You know, I mean... You can't get a divorce. Oh, my God, you're divorced? Well, you can't do this, and you can't do this. We just got to hide you in a broom closet somewhere at church because we can't let people know we have divorced people coming. You know, and that's the way they believe in it. You know, it just drives me crazy how little grace that those people show. So it's kind of the same today as it was then. We have two different schools of thought. They're both kind of ridiculous, right? But here's the thing that I always go back to. It doesn't really matter what someone thinks doesn't really matter what someone feels about divorce. All that we need to know is what God says about divorce. You know, if we would all go back to what he says about it and go from there, there really would be no reason to argue. You know what I mean, then we could actually deal with the problem, right? So this is kind of Jesus showing us how to handle this. Okay, so notice that they ask him if divorce was lawful for any reason at all. He said, well... Anything, can they get divorced for any reason at all? And Jesus knew exactly what they were trying to do. So he wisely just replies with scripture, look at this, Matthew 19, 4. And he answered and said to them, have you not read? Now let me stop for a second. When, you, <laughs> when you're talking to a Pharisee, when you're talking to a Sadducee, when you're talking to any Jewish official, when you say, have you not read, that's a slap in the face. Because they were entrusted with the oracles of God. No one knew what the words on the page said more than they did. So to say, have you not read, was an insult in and of itself. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man should leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become what? One flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man Okay, so he says, let me answer your question this way. 
Haven't you read about it? I mean, God made him from the beginning. It's supposed to be one man and one woman, right? And they're supposed to become one flesh, and no man should separate them. That was his answer, right? Now, they realized he didn't really give them an answer. He kind of just gave them a statement. I mean, they couldn't say, that's a lie, because it was, I mean, it was the word. I mean, he gave them a pretty, uh, an answer that was pretty safe. They couldn't really attack it. It was the word of God, right? He just gives them a statement. And everything Jesus said to them was, I mean, directly out of the Scripture. But basically what he was trying to get them to take from that, the reason he quoted that section of Scripture, was, listen, a husband and wife are supposed to be one closer than they are to anyone else in the universe. And nobody should separate that. Because God sees them as one entity. So nobody should separate that. Right? So it was a brilliant answer. But they didn't like it. They didn't like it. They, you know, it didn't fit their religion. So... They responded by asking him another question. And this question really is kind of implying that he's wrong. Matthew 19, 7. They said to him, why then did Moses what? Command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away. So this second question was so misleading, and it was a, a complete misrepresentation of what Moses said. It was a complete misrepresentation. Right? The law of Moses never said that a man could divorce his wife for any reason at all. It never said that anywhere. It did not say that. The law actually said that the only reason that they could be divorced was for sexual immorality. I'm just going to read a portion uh, of Deuteronomy 24, just verse 1. It says, when a man takes a wife uh, and marries her, it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some what? Indecency in her, and he writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. Now, there's more to that, but I just wanted to put that section in there. Here's why. Because what they were seeing was that, here's the, the word. You ever meet the people that read the Bible to support what they believe rather than believe what the Bible teaches them? Now, you ever notice that they'll quote Scripture way out of context just to support what they believe? And, it, and this is what's going on here. Okay, because they forgot about that. All they remembered was, listen, if a man, you know, if his wife, he finds no favor in her, send her packing. They forgot about the other part, because he found some indecency in her. It's saying, yeah, give her a certificate of divorce and send her away, if you found an indecency in her. And the word indecency translates to shame or nakedness. You know what that implies? Sexual immorality, adultery. He's saying, if a man marries a woman and finds out that she's cheated, basically, or that she had been sexually immoral during their uh, their engagement, anything like that, if he finds that there's sexual and more immorality in her, then he can divorce her because of that. It doesn't say for any reason at all. And it's really important that you understand when you're studying, especially tough topics. You ready for this? This is some real revelation knowledge. Words mean things. You with me? I mean, that's some Play-Doh right there, right? Words mean things and you're going to see the play on words here and you'll see why uh, why i call it that so let's go back to to verse seven here notice that they said it's really funny they had a play on words here they said to him why then did moses what command, command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away they used the word command why did moses command it moses didn't command that at all he did not command it. 
That was a complete fabrication of what was actually said. He didn't command anything about that. Nothing even remotely close to that. So now Jesus sees the opportunity to exploit their mishandling of the scripture. Matthew 19, 8. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses what? Permitted. Do you see a difference between words here? Command and permit. Are those different? Command means you have no choice. Permit means, ah, go ahead. All right, there's a difference. He said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. Now, here's the big one. But from the beginning, it has what? It has not been this way. So Jesus basically said Moses didn't command it. He permitted it. Right? He permitted it, and he permitted it because of your hard hearts, because you have evil hearts, is what he actually said. See, back in this time, and this is tough to imagine, but back in this time, they would find creative ways around the law. Right? I guess that's still happening today, isn't it? We're trying to find creative ways around the rules. But, so what they would do was, well, I don't really have a reason to divorce her, so they just marry another one. And before long, they'd have 10, 12 wives. You know that that was never okay? How many people noticed in the Old Testament that people were marrying like crazy, had four and five wives and six wives and eight wives, and some of them were ridiculous like Solomon? You guys notice that? And so some of us just start to think, well, it must have been okay then because it was David or because it was Solomon. or because Listen, it was never okay. They were never supposed to have more than one wife. And if you will go back and look at those patriarchs and look at the wives and the children of the wives that they were not supposed to have, that's where all their problems came from. All their problems. Had they just married the woman they were supposed to marry, their lives would have been ten times better. But because they took these extra wives, all their problems came from those wives and those wives' kids. It was never okay. When Abraham did it, it was sin. When David did it, it was sin. And they all paid dearly for it. Because those wives were problems. Right? And there, there's so many jokes I could have there, and I am not going to do it. But, and the children of those wives were problems. He said, from the beginning, it has not been this way. Right? So Jesus said he didn't command it. He just permitted it. He permitted it because of your hard heart. He saw people killing their wives. They weren't just marrying a bunch of them. They would kill some of their wives so that they'd get a new model. Can you believe that? And Moses sees how evil their hearts are. And he's like, I gotta, I gotta do something. They're not supposed to have harems. They're not supposed to be killing their wives. So he says, listen, do me a favor. If you don't want her, don't make her a part of your harem. Don't kill her. At least give her a certificate of divorce and send her away. Let her have a shot at life, but don't kill her. You know, because of their hardness of heart, Moses permitted them to divorce. And he had good intentions. He had good intentions. God never told him to do that. But he had good intentions. And this is where Jesus kind of, I mean, he kind of throws them under the bus. Did you guys notice that when you're reading through this? He kind of throws them under the bus because he says, listen, Moses permitted that. But I never said to do that. He said, from the beginning, it hasn't been that w- this way. He had, listen, Jesus was at the beginning. Right? He's going, Moses permitted it because you guys are idiots. You guys kept doing stupid stuff. So he had to come to some extreme measures to try to match your extreme stupidity. 
your wicked heart. So he permitted it. But just so you know, Moses permitted it, not me. Because from the beginning, it has not been this way. He did kind of throw him under the bus, didn't he? And rightfully so. That Moses kind of earned being under the bus on that one. Right? So this is, this is big. Right? So basically, he's saying Moses was just trying to find a way to regulate your wicked hearts. Right? He had, felt like he had to do something, so he allowed, he permitted you to be able to get a divorce from those women. Now, marriages, this is something that really plagued me all week when I was preparing this. Wicked hearts are still affecting marriages. You know, we look and we hear about them killing their wives, and we hear about them marrying a bunch of women and all this stuff, and, and we think, oh, they were wicked. But, you know, wicked hearts are still destroying marriages. They're still destroying them today, and they've resulted in a lot of divorces. Right? I mean, today, we see actions in marriage that just blow your mind. There's physical abuse in marriages. And I know a lot of pastors who say, well, the Bible only says that he should divorce because of sexual immorality. And I know things are rough. And I'm like, you're an idiot. Get the heck out of there, woman. Get out of that house. Because any animal that would touch his wife is not to be trusted. Get out of there. Okay, why do I say that? Because the wickedness of someone's heart in that home. Right? Now, I'm not going to say run out and go get a divorce, but I will tell them to get out of there. Get out of that situation. I've seen mental abuse. This goes both ways. And by the way, so does physical abuse. People always laugh when I say that, but I know a guy that was big enough to eat hay. I'm not kidding you. He was big. And his wife was half his size, and she'd get mad and hit him with stuff and throw stuff at him and cut him, and he would just stand and take it because he didn't want to hurt her. So abuse does go both ways. It's not very often, but it does happen. And the mental abuse, people don't realize mental abuse can be just as painful as physical abuse. Right? I mean, and that comes from the wickedness of our hearts. Substance abuse, where uh, a man or woman lets drugs take over their life, and the only love of their life, the only thing they're married to when they're addicted is their drugs. They become terrible mothers, terrible wives. So listen, the evil heart, the wicked heart that Moses saw, we still see it today. We still see it in marriages today, and it's still destroying marriages today. Right? That's still happening. And we don't want to recognize it. But because of our hearts is why marriages fail now. It's still because of that. And we think that divorce is just going to make everything go away. I'll talk about that in a little bit. That's not true. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Somebody needs to remind people that, listen, there are ramifications from divorce. I say it's, it's like a grenade, divorce is, because when you throw it into a room, a piece of it hits everybody. You know what I mean? The shrapnel just hits everybody. Because divorce doesn't just affect those two people. It affects so many people around them. And it's all the result of our, of our evil hearts, the same thing that Moses saw. I still see it today, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Matthew 19, 9. Jesus said, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for what? Immorality. Immorality. And marries another woman commits what? Adultery. Commits adultery. Okay, so Jesus said the only justifiable reason for divorce in the eyes of God is immorality. Now, the word immorality in the Greek is pornea. Does that sound familiar? It's pornea. And pornea 
means sexual immorality. That's what it means, sexual immorality. It's where we get our word pornography from. The word pornea means sexual immorality. So what it should say here is, except for sexual immorality and marries another woman. That's what it should say, right? So if a spouse commits sexual immorality, the other can divorce them and be completely justified in doing so. They can do that. Now, I want you to realize something. I want you to listen very carefully. If your spouse has an infidelity, you can divorce them. Notice he didn't say you must. Notice that. Notice he didn't say you have to. Notice that. Okay, because it's really important here. Yes, you have the legal right in God's eyes to divorce them. But if you want to forgive them, that's kind of all that God's about is forgiveness. And if you want to work through that, I've, there's been a lot of couples that have worked through an infidelity and came back stronger than before. Everybody makes mistakes, right? Uh, so I, you don't have to, you know, you, but you have the right to, but you don't have to do that. Because God can repair marriages. He can heal marriages, right? And he can make them strong again because this is what God does. But I want to throw something in. If you choose to forgive them, and you choose to fix that marriage, and you forgive it, forgiveness means to treat someone as if they've never harmed you. Forgiveness is not a feeling. You can forgive somebody and still not like them, and still remember what they did, right? Forgiveness means to treat them as if they've never harmed you. So if you say, I, I've decided I'm not going to leave this marriage, I'm I'm going to stay here and we're going to try to fix it, then you can't keep bringing that infidelity up and throwing it in their face because it'll never work, right? Forgive. Do you want God to keep throwing your stuff in your face once you've been forgiven? Every time you get down to pray, would you love to hear God reaching down from heaven and saying, I don't know, remember back when you got busted back in 97? Is that what you want to hear? Listen, he doesn't throw it in your face because he's forgiven you, but he treats you like you didn't do it. If you're going to forgive them and move on, yes, you'll have some questions that need answers. You'll have a lot of things you'll have to do, but you have to throw that away. You can't bring that up for later ammunition. Everybody get that? Okay, and you're mumbling. I'm assuming that means yes. All right. Now, I want to tackle a couple other things about divorce before I move on. Some have actually said that when a person divorces, the only way they can be right with God is to remarry the one that they divorced. Anybody ever hear that? Yeah. We like to call that crazy. That is, that, is, that is crazy. Okay? Because by saying the only way you can be right is to remarry the one you divorced, you are putting divorce on the same level as, as blasphemy, the unforgivable sin. You're saying that God cannot forgive you and cannot bless you because you're divorced? Listen, it might be a sin, but it's no bigger sin than any other sin, and God said that he can cleanse you of your sin, right? You can be forgiven of that. I mean, you can. I don't understand how we got here. It's not the unforgivable sin. Listen, if, if you're the offended party, if you're the one that was cheated on, you can remarry whenever you want to whoever you want as long as they're a believer, right? If you're the offending party, the one who did, the one who committed the infidelity, once you repent of it and confess it before God and he's cleansed you of it, you can have another marriage that's blessed. Now all the conservatives all around the world that hear this are going, oh, this is a big one. You know what I mean? Freaking out because I said that. Because they love to hold it over your head. But listen, here's the truth. God 
can forgive adultery. Did you know that? Did you know God is powerful enough to forgive adultery? Because to say that they can't be forgiven until they marry their ex is to say that God is not more powerful than adultery. His forgiveness does not go beyond that. It's ridiculous. Listen, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. It says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we what? Are we on verse 9? Okay. If we what? If we confess our sins. But I like the passion. If we confess our sins. Confessing your sin is not some process. You don't need somebody in between you and God to do that. Here's what confessing your sin means. It means saying, I did it. I know it was wrong. You can't confess your sin to God and try to justify yourself at the same time. Ever try to do that? Well, Lord, I know I probably shouldn't have stole that, but he wouldn't even miss it. Plus, he probably steals from people all the time. Is that what you do? That, 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 that's not a confession. Confession means you allocute to it. You say, I did it. It was wrong. I did it against you, and I'm sorry. That's what it means. Okay, it says, if, you, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Does it say all unrighteousness except for divorce? How about all unrighteousness except for cheating on your taxes? No? All unrighteousness. So if you will confess your sin, he will forgive it. Even adultery, conservatives don't have a stroke on me, even adultery can be forgiven. And you can move on with a blessed life if you get away from that behavior. Whatever caused that to happen, you can have a blessed life. So the idea that someone who had an unlawful divorce or got divorced for a reason that wasn't, you know, infidelity has this albatross of sin around their neck for the rest of their lives that can never be blessed is ridiculous. And it's a slap in the face to the grace of God, just to be honest with you. That mindset just honks me off. Because you're trapping people who God is desiring to bless in a prison of ridiculous religious foolishness. That's what it is. Because the Bible will not support you. If you will confess it, you'll be forgiven. Okay, divorced people can be forgiven no matter why they were divorced. Right? As with any sin, if you're a believer, God's grace is available to you always, no matter what you do. Okay, so I wanted to put that to rest. Now, understand, you still may have consequences you have to live with from your divorce. God never says he'll take those away. Right? Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, what? This he will also reap. Okay? This is where we come back to what I was talking about before. One of the biggest lies the enemy, the devil, ever told was that divorce will end your problems. Divorce her and you're done with her. As if. Divorce him and you'll never have to deal with him again. Wrong. Listen, it's the biggest lie ever told. Because there's ramifications from a divorce. It's just, it's tough. And people who've been there understand. If you've had children especially, aren't holidays kind of frustrating and awkward? Right? When you're divorced? I had friends that were divorced, and I used to think, how many Christmases do you go to? Man, I wish my parents would get divorced. Isn't that terrible? I was thinking just about the presents. That's awful. But anyway, think about it, though. Literally, 
Holidays are awkward. I mean, celebrations like graduations, things like that, are awkward. When someone is sick, you know, the child is sick and in the hospital, it's awkward because, you, you know what I mean? It's just the broken vows and, and, and the, you know, the unresolved issues just kind of loom in the darkness and hang around you two forever. So it's, it's, it's never good. You know what I mean? There are, there are you know, some things you're going to have to suffer with because of that. It just is what it is. You know, it's not easy. But you can be forgiven. The thing I find strange is that there's been a lot of studies done. I'll quote one here in a minute. Where they find that most people, once they're years after they're away from their divorce, and they look back with a clear mind, more objectively, they admit they probably could have saved that marriage. Right? And, for instance, there was one done in the U.K. back in 2016, and it had 800 participants, right? And 22% of them said that they regretted getting a divorce, Right? said that 40% of divorce participants believed, in hindsight, divorce was the wrong choice. Okay? Uh, another publication, the Daily Mail, another UK publication, said 54% of the participants experienced second thoughts after getting a divorce, and 42% considered giving the relationship another try after the divorce. Now, this isn't always the case. But what I'm saying is sometimes, sometimes we rush to divorce because we believe the lie. It'll fix everything. All your problems will go away. Life's going to be smooth. You're going to be happy, and birds will land on your shoulder and sing when you're outside. If you just divorce and get, it's just not true. So the bottom line is divorce is a sin and shouldn't happen except for immorality. But if it does, it can be forgiven, right? To those who have confessed it, you can move on and have blessed lives and other blessed relationships, okay? So that's biblical. That's what the Bible says about it. I'm getting that straight from the scriptures, so if you don't agree with it, tough. Anyway, let's move on. Now, here's the thing. I think you have to deal with we're going to talk about divorce. There's a lot of people who get angry at God over divorce. I've had them in my office. It is so difficult for me to listen to. Why did God let me marry him? Why did God let me have to deal with him? Why did God let me marry her? Why didn't he show me that she was a cheater? Why is this happening? Why do my children have to go through this? Where is God at? Where is his grace? Where is his comfort? Listen, it's never God's fault. Because a lot of divorces, I'm going to say all divorces for Christians, could have been avoided if you did the whole process God's way. They could have been avoided. Okay? First of all, if you take... A believer who's been divorced back to the beginning and say, this was the first thing you sought when you were looking for a mate was to make sure that they were a faithful believer and loved God more than you. Is that the first thing? Well, no, to be honest with you, I just want them to be hot. Okay, there's one thing God had no say in because all you wanted was someone who was hot, not a faithful believer. Okay, well, did that person encourage you to spiritually grow? And to exercise your spiritual gifts and try to make a difference for Christ. Did that person encourage you to do that? They just look at me blankly. Did you even think about that? Well, no. Okay, there's two things God was not allowed to be involved in. Here's another one. Did they treat you like you want to be treated? The whole way? All right, because people will come to me and say, I don't know what to do. My husband is a drug addict and a drunk and... And he gets violent. I'm like, did he show any signs of that before you were married? Yeah, sometimes. But I thought I could change him. 
I'm like, yeah, that rarely happens. You know, I, I got a newsflash for you. If you buy ice cream and open it up and it's ice cream, don't be surprised. You know what I mean? They are what they are. And here's the other problem. Did you stay with them long enough to know if their actions were genuine? Listen, ladies and guys, it's easy to be the perfect person for three months. You know, it's easy even for six months to come across as the perfect person. You, may, you haven't even had time to see them blow yet. You haven't seen them when things aren't working and they're trying to fix something in the rain and everything's going wrong. You haven't seen them when you come home late from work and they're jealous and possessive. You haven't seen them in that state yet. Have you been with them long enough to know that they are genuine? Because believe me, we can act great when we want something, can't we? You know how you, know how you can see this in action? Anybody ever see their wife, their husband, their home, and they're grumbling? They're like, oh, this makes me so mad. Stupid dogs. Why are they in the yelling at everything? The phone rings. Hello, how are you? You ever notice that? Cracks me up. I'm like, wow, there's a switch somewhere. I wish I could flip that myself. You know, you ever see your wives do that, guys? They're just so mad. I am not talking about this right now. We'll talk about this. Hi. Nothing. How about you? Right? I'm telling you, we can put it on thick to get what we want. Here's the big one. Did you pray about that relationship? Did you pray about it before you went out with them the first time? Did you pray about it after the first date? Was God the center of it? Were you making sure that it was a godly match? And every time I talk to people about this, the answer is always no. 90% of the time, it's no. No, it didn't. I'm like, so... If God wasn't involved in the selection process, if God wasn't involved in the elimination process, if God wasn't involved in the evaluation process, how is God at fault now? I can just see God up there when they're saying, hey, why did you let this happen? He's going, you didn't ask. I'd have told you to leave that fool. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'd have told you to never marry him. But people get so angry at God. It's not God's fault. Here's the deal. If you want to have a good marriage, make sure God's involved from day one. And that means selection day, draft day. When you are looking for your number one pick in the first round, right? make sure they love God more than you. You only want somebody who will put you second to God. That's it. If they will put you above God, send them packing. Because they got to love God more than you to love you like you should be loved. Right? That should be... First and foremost, allow God to be involved in every step of the process, and divorce will never have to be something you worry about, as long as God is at the center of everything you do. Now, I'm going to finish up with verses 10 and 11. Now, I think these are funny. I don't know why. I just think they're funny. Listen to this, Matthew 19, 10, 11. The disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry I just think that's hilarious. I don't know why. They're, just, they're going, man, I don't want to be married. Right? Verse 11, but he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. Okay? <laughs> For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who are made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He is able to... Uh, he who is able to accept this, let him accept it. Okay. The disciples are like, man, maybe marriage isn't even worth it. Maybe, maybe it's not even worth it. 
right? So Jesus says, well, I mean, here's your options. Here's your options, okay? And they're pretty slim, and they're pretty drastic. Okay, you're either born a eunuch. Does everybody know what that is? Okay, we'll just leave her there then. You're born a eunuch, which means you don't, you know, you don't have to be married. <laughs> I am trying to be tactful, right? Or it says that, or you were made a eunuch by men. Back then the kings would have people in their courts that were responsible for their harems. And to make sure they didn't have any ideas about cheating with their harems, you know. Yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, that was taken care of. Okay, they were made eunuchs. And there were people at that time who, and, you know, more power to them if they can do it who thought that the whole marriage and sex thing was a distraction, so they made themselves a eunuch. There, there again, I don't think you want me to talk about how. Okay? So he's saying, if you don't want to be married, there's three options. And you see those guys going, ooh, you know what, maybe, maybe marriage isn't so bad after all. <laughs> right? Because here's the thing you have to remember, is that it is natural for men to be sexually attracted to a woman, and it is natural for a woman to be sexually attracted to a man. And for years, the church has made it sound dirty and nasty. It's not, right? It's, you know, God saw it, and it was good, right? <laughs> just saying. But, just throwing it out there. But, that was designed for one man and one woman. And he's saying, if you don't marry, you may allow that desire to get you in trouble with sexual immorality, right? 1 Corinthians 7, 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul talked about this. It said, now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Ladies, don't get excited. There's more. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, that's the word porneia. What's this mean? Sexual immoralities, right? Because, but because of sexual immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. So what he's saying is because of the natural, physical, sexual desires and emotional, sexual desires in you, because of that, you should marry so that it doesn't become a lust issue in your life. It doesn't become an immorality issue in your life. You should marry. And you stay with that woman and, you know, it's a good deal. But if that's not the case, then you should be a eunuch. <laughs> Okay, so I imagine all the disciples going, Marion it is. I'll take that. So here's the thing. I want to close with this. I know this sounds difficult talking about all this, you know, but here's what it boils down to. If, if you do things God's way, you don't have to fear anything. In your marriage, in, in your life, in your finances, nothing. Marriage is very, very important to God. If your marriage is out of whack right now, Stop considering divorce and start considering putting more God into it, allowing God to have more control of it, surrendering it to God, and he will fix it, right? If you are divorced, don't let people make you feel like you're a pariah. I want you to surrender your life to God and allow him to find you a great relationship that he can bless as long as you've been forgiven of it, right? So I'm sorry if people have made the church sound like we all want to throw divorced people out. That's not the truth. I want you to know that sin is sin, and, and if you are willing to submit your God to life in any situation, and uh, submit God to God in your life, rather, in, in any situation, you can have victory, any of them.
whether your marriage is struggling, no matter what it is. So, yes, this, is, this seems like some pretty hard teaching, but the truth of the matter is, when we do things God's way, nothing's really that hard. You know, we just need to give him the opportunity to bless us, and the same is true with marriage. So I'm going to go ahead and close there. I'm going to ask if you would to please bow your heads. Now, if it's your first time here, we always like to get an invitation. And I know you're thinking, why? You just talked about divorce and eunuchs and stuff. Well, here's the thing is, you know, I'm not going to claim to know what it is that God speaks to people through. I remember when we were preaching through the book of Hebrews, not a salvation book by any stretch of the imagination, a great many people came to Christ because it spoke to them. If there's someone here who's not sure where they stand with Christ, I want to pray for you. Because the greatest marriage that never fails is that union between your Savior and yourself. He'll never leave you. He'll never abandon you. And if you don't know where you stand, just make eye contact with me or slip your hand up and put it right back down, and I will pray for, bless those people. I'll pray for those people. Because, listen, I'm not going to chase you down or anything, but I just I know what it's like to be there, and this is just a great first step. And those of you watching online or listening online, I'll be praying for you. But for those of us who are Christians, listen, the biggest thing I want to pray for us about is, is the culture in Christianity today towards people. You know, we are so willing to judge people. We're so willing to limit people. It's like we're looking for someone to have something against. We're looking for someone to not share God's grace with, to not be Christ-like to. It's so frustrating to me. Listen, why is it we always pick the sin that we're not guilty of to be hard on? I just want you to know that we need to have the hearts of Christ. If someone's in a divorce, we don't judge them, we love them, and we try to restore them. If someone's addicted to drugs, we don't judge them, we don't talk about them, we love them and try to restore them. No matter what the case, people need to know that they can depend on us to be there through those difficult trials in their life, including divorce. We need to do a better job at that. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I just thank you for the love that you've shown us. I thank you, Lord, that even though we're not worthy of your grace, you freely give it anyway. I have never been worthy one day of my life, even since the day you first saved me. I've never been worthy of your grace. Every day I prove how powerful your grace is. I'm just so thankful that your love is greater than my weakness. If there's someone here who doesn't know you, Lord, I'm sure that there's a thousand things going through their mind they've heard in a hundred different churches, and I just... I want them to clear their mind and just trust your word because you promised that whosoever would believe would have eternal life. And if they can believe that what Jesus did was enough, your word guarantees they'll have it. And if they make that decision today, I pray they reach out to us or if they're a long way from here, they reach out to a good Christian friend or organization because we are not meant to walk this road alone. You should always have someone to embrace you on your journey. And God, for those of us who know you, I, it troubles my heart to see that there are so many Christian people involved in boycotts and involved in, in bitterness and anger and judgment. Lord, people won't see you in that. Let us get involved in the things that will display you to people. Love, restoration, reaching out, loving people that no one, no one else will love. Just let our hearts be those of a servant, not a judge. Because our goal is to enlarge the borders of your kingdom. 
and to have more people to spend eternity with. Let us just live like you. We just pray as we leave here, you would keep us safe. If you don't return to take us home before we meet again, give us a passion and a desire to come back and give you all the praise and glory you're so worthy of. We just thank you for all things, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. really tough topic um, that's really touched a lot of people's lives. As a matter of fact, I don't know that there's anybody that can say they haven't been affected by this, at least uh, to some level, uh, because today we're going to discuss what Jesus had to say about divorce. How many people in here have been touched by divorce in one way or another? Raise your hand. Wow, that's what I thought. So we're going to be talking about that. Um, see, divorce is like um, frustrating to me. I hate to say this, but it's frustrating to me how churches and Christians deal with it. It just bothers me uh, because it's like a hot topic of debate with a lot of Christians and a lot of churches, and I don't understand that. There's a lot of Christians who are just confused and, and flat out misrepresent uh, what the Bible teaches uh, about divorce. Because there are some Christians who literally, I don't know if you've met these people, that literally treat someone who's been divorced like they have the scarlet letter. I mean, like they have to carry this, you know, this cross around with them all the time and beg for, I mean, just outcast them. You ever been around the churches like that and the people like that? I mean, they, they won't let them ever serve in the church again. Won't let them, I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? There's that one camp that, that's like that. Then there's the other camp that just, you know, they feel like Jesus' words on the topic don't really matter. You know, they're, they're outdated, you know, and, and Jesus couldn't possibly have known how tough it was to split up assets, you know, <laughs> and I'm going, except he's God, and you know, he probably does. But, you know, and there's some that just totally dismiss it, and both, both schools of thought are wrong. But what I think we forget a lot about divorce is that it's not about religion. It's not even a matter of religion. I mean, divorce affects people's lives. It's about people. It's not about religion. And so the sooner we start thinking about that, I think the better off we'll be. So uh, today as we go through this message, we're going to see that Jesus is very clear on this topic. Uh, God the Father was very clear on this topic. Uh, if you look Matthew, or Malachi chapter 2, just uh, verse 16a there. It says, for I what? For I what? Says the Lord God of Israel. So God hates divorce, and he hates it at its very root. I mean, the very root of divorce, the word means to send away, right? To send away or to dismiss. And sending people away and giving up on people is against God's very nature. So that's why he hates it so bad. Now, it doesn't say that he hates people who've been divorced. It says that he hates divorce. He hates what it does to them, right? So 
here's the thing. Have you noticed that if you've ever been through a divorce or been close to someone that's been dealing with the divorce, it actually kind of changes the way they behave. And you'll see people who have always been happy and, you know, and friendly and excited, and they start to get cold and bitter and angry. And, and uh, Anybody ever met the angry divorce person? That's like 10 years after the divorce, and they're still angry, you know, and you're going, what did that woman do to you, son? But, I mean, there's, it just changes, it changes the way they believe and what they don't, or the way they, they, they act and what they don't realize is it actually makes them the polar opposite of Jesus by the way they act. See, Jesus loves, and he offers grace to people, and he, and he seeks to restore people, and we're talking even his enemies. That's how Christ handles every situation. Divorce seems to make us separate from people. It makes us attack people. It, it makes us want to destroy them. Have you ever heard someone say, you need to get my attorney. He will destroy him. And I'm going, I don't know that that's what we're after here as Christians. You know what I mean? He will take everything he has or we will leave her out in the cold. He's a bulldog. And I'm going, well, not real Christ-like. We need to think of doing that a different way. So it's just important that we remember before we start into this that divorce just destroys lives. And what the the divorced community needs from Christians is love. What they need from us is restoration. What they need is someone to stand with them. So we're going to take a look at this from a little different angle. But today, okay, let's look at Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 1. It said, when Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. A large crowd followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, what? Testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Okay, so the Pharisees' main goal in life after Jesus began his ministry was to shut him up. Because people were seeing God move through him. They were seeing his God-given authority. They were starting to believe. He was getting... A great reputation. So their goal was to to shut him down, to find some way, I mean any way, to trap him concerning the law of Moses or the law of the Romans. Because they thought if we can get him arrested and thrown away and done away with, people will forget about this foolishness and move on. So their whole goal was to trap him. So they see him coming in here and they see him, you know, people are coming to him to receive wisdom and to hear his his wise sayings. And and people were coming to him to be healed and, and see his miracles. And they said, okay, this is our, our perfect time to test him. Now, they asked him about divorce. Do you ever wonder why? I mean, why would you use that topic if you're trying to trap Jesus? And the reason is, just like now, it was a, a greatly debated topic back then. Do you realize that even the rabbis didn't agree on it? Some of the rabbis of the Jews believed they were really liberal. So they didn't think it was a big deal at all. Whatever, you don't like her, get rid of her. You know what I mean? I mean, they were really liberal about it. The other side was very conservative and, and looked at it like, you know, blasphemous and horrible and horrendous. And, and so there was two different thoughts between uh, the rabbis. So here's what they thought. They thought, you know what, let's ask him. And no matter what he says, he's going to tick one of them off, right? So if he's conservative, he'll tick off the liberals. If he's liberal, he'll tick off the conservatives, right? So we really can't lose. So this is why uh, they came at him with divorce, right? Now, does this sound familiar? Does this sound familiar? I mean, it's crazy. Things really haven't changed that much. Because no matter what you believe about divorce, it's such a highly debated topic and such a passionate topic, you will offend someone somewhere. 
when you say something about divorce, a lot of people don't even want to preach on it because they're like, oh, that's, that's too hot of a topic. Listen, I believe every topic in the scripture needs to be talked about. Every last word of it, right? We need to talk about it. And there are still people who believe that it's no big deal. It's a viable option. What's your problem? You know what I mean? Hey, I kicked the tires. I gave it a run. I don't like it. Straight in. You know? <laughs> Sorry, but there's some, literally, I've had people come into my office. This is no joke. You can't make this stuff up. They come in for marriage counseling. You would think they would be sucking up to me. They come into marriage counseling. They say, so you guys, uh, you guys ready for your counseling? You ready to get married? Well, we're going to give it a run. I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah, we figured we'd give it a try. Might as well. We've been together for a while. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing your wedding. I literally said that. And they're like, what? And I'm like, I don't, I don't marry people for trial runs. I'm sorry. You know, this isn't a test flight. Have a nice day. And that's awful. But would you want to sign your name on that? You know, we'll see what happens here, right? See how she runs. And then there's others. You know, I've, I've dealt with other people that come to me brokenhearted because, you know, Christians can get divorced. As a matter of fact, the numbers very smallly make a difference between believers and unbelievers. I mean, the divorce rate's almost identical, right? So, listen, Christians, don't be self-righteous. Anything anyone else can do, an unbeliever can do, we can do if we're not careful, right? So, I've had some of them come to me, and they're like, I just don't know what to do. I, I feel like like trash. I mean, my church, you know, looks at me like I'm the biggest blasphemous piece of crap, you know, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, I can't serve. I can't work in nursery. I can't be a part of Sunday school anymore. I can't because I'm divorced and because, you know, and, and I'm like, that's terrible. That's terrible. So we could use this same argument. You know, the, the Pharisees thought there's such passionate, wide, widely different schools of thought. No matter what he says, he's going to be in trouble. We can understand that because it's the same way today. But here's the thing I want to challenge you with as we go in deeper into this message. What you think about divorce and what you feel about divorce doesn't matter. It's what the Word of God tells us about divorce that matters. That should be, that should be what we base our beliefs on is what the Word of God says. Not how we feel, not what we think. Right? Now, notice how they did this. They really were trying to be creative with their words. They asked Jesus if divorce was lawful for any reason at all. There was the trap. And Jesus knew what they were trying to do. He knew their intentions. So his reply is just amazing. I love how he does this. It's brilliant. Matthew 19, 4. And he answered and said, have you not read? Okay, first of all, that was a huge slap in the face to a Pharisee or a Sadducee or any Jewish leader. They were entrusted with the oracles of God. They knew the word of God, what it said on paper, maybe not application-wise, but they knew what it said on paper more than anyone. So to say, have you not read to one of them would be like a complete insult to them. He says, have you not read that he who created him from the beginning made them male and female, and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become what? One flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, what? Let no man separate. This is funny because Jesus didn't really give them an answer. He gave them a statement. Everything he said was direct quote from Scripture. What are they supposed to do? Say, I don't agree with that. Then they'd be saying they don't agree with the Word of God. He literally answered them in Scripture. He was making a statement, but he was doing it by just using 
Scripture, basically what he was saying is husband and wife are one and no man should separate it. What's the problem? That was his answer to them. And evidently they didn't like it too much, right? So they responded by asking another question and kind of implying that he was wrong. Matthew 19, 7. They said to him, why then did Moses what? Command. command. This is going to be important. Remember that word. Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? So this question, actually, the second question is a complete misrepresentation of what Moses said. It's completely misleading, right? This is not what the law said. The way they're trying to trap him was a complete mistake. Because, first of all, the law of Moses never said you could divorce your wife for any reason at all. It never said that anywhere. They just interpreted it that way and believed it that way, but it never said that. As a matter of fact, the, the law of Moses said there was only one reason for divorce. Only one reason. I want to read a part of Deuteronomy 24, 1. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her certificate of divorce and puts, her, and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. Now, I just read one section there. There's a lot we could read on that, but... What they remembered was if a man marries a woman and he doesn't find, if she doesn't find favor in him and he doesn't like her, then he can give her a certificate of divorce. That's what they remembered. What they had forgotten was the most important part. He had to find an indecency in her first. That was what the law said. If he finds an indecency in her, then he can give her a certificate of divorce. Now, the word indecency in the Hebrew literally means shame or nakedness, right? So it's actually, it's actually leaning to, and, and it, they're trying to imply sexual immorality. That's what it meant. The, the nakedness and shame of that word would be, would be talking about someone who is sexually immoral. So what it's saying is that if a man takes a wife and finds out she's been sexually immoral, maybe during the engagement time, because that was very serious then, or maybe after the marriage, you know, if she had become sexually immoral, then he could give her a writing of divorcement and send her away. But it never said for any reason whatsoever. Now, I want to take a closer look at this verse 7 because this is where they really start to jack things up when they're asking this question. Verse 7, they said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? The Pharisees used the word command. Moses didn't command anything pertaining to divorce there was he didn't command anything other than what the law said he didn't make a command and jesus exploits that look at this verse eight he said to them because of your hardness of heart moses what permitted you to divorce your wives okay is there a big difference between commanded and permitted i mean there's a, there's a huge difference here he said moses permitted you to divorce your wives Here's the big one. But from the beginning, what? It has not been this way. Did you know that? Did you know that when you read in the Old Testament, you see that David had a bunch of wives? That was sin. God was never happy with that. When Abraham had several wives, that was sin. God was never happy with that. All those people, even the patriarchs and the people you read about in Scripture who had multiple wives, God was not pleased with it. It was not his design. And if you pay careful attention, this is a study worth having. If you will go back 
and look at everyone who had multiple wives and look at the problems in their lives. The problems in their lives comes from the wives that they should not have had. Right? There's one wife they should have had, and all the problems come from the wives they shouldn't have had and their kids. I mean, all the problems. Okay, so God was not cool with it then either. And this is what Jesus was saying in my translation. It would be, listen, and from the very start, we didn't want that. We have never been cool with multiple wives. We've always been about one man and one woman. We've always been about that. So Jesus basically said Moses didn't command it. He permitted it. And he permitted it because of your hard hearts. Okay, let me tell you what was going on back then. In Moses' time, people would get tired of their wives, so they would just marry a bunch more. And before long, their wife was, you know, basically just, you know, a concubine. They'd have this harem of wives, and they would ignore them, and and it would ruin their lives. That was not right. That was not supposed to be. Then there were others who didn't want to break the command and divorce a woman without there being sexual immorality, so they found a way around it. They would kill them. Yeah, they would kill them so they could have another wife. Yeah. And so Moses sees this and he's thinking, idiots. What are you, I'm sorry, this is my translation. What are you doing? I mean, you have a harem of women here you can't pay any attention to. And you're killing your wives. What is wrong with you? Listen, at least give them a certificate of divorce and send them away. Let them have a shot at life. So Moses did this. Because of their hard hearts. That's why he did it. But God never told him to. Here's the thing. Jesus kind of throws Moses under the bus here. And I mean, he kind of deserves it. But God never said for him to do that. Moses just went, ah, what am I going to do here? i got to stop these idiots. Okay, listen, guys. Stop killing your wives. Stop marrying 40 wives. If you're done with them, give them a certificate of divorce and send them away. At least they have a chance at a life, but quit killing your wives, you morons. You know? Now, he had good intentions. Right? He had good intentions. There's a road to somewhere paved with that. Anyway, um, but it wasn't what God had asked him to do. But Jesus basically says, listen, Moses permitted you guys to do that because you're stupid. And, and you're killing your wives and treating them like concubines, and you're terrible, and you have wicked hearts, and he was trying to find a way to rectify that, so he decides with good intentions that he had a solution by letting you divorce him, to give him a certificate and send it away. He says, but I want you to understand something. Moses permitted that, not me. Then he says, because from the beginning, it has not been this way. He's saying, listen, I was the creative influence when the world was made. I know what was supposed to be. And it was always supposed to be one man and one woman, monogamous, loving each other, raising their children under God for eternity. That's the way it's supposed to be. Okay, so Moses did it because you guys are terrible. But I didn't tell him to. From the very beginning, it has not been that way. Now, kind of still sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, I don't see a lot of people killing their wives, praise God. But... I think that a lot of divorces are the result of our wicked hearts now, right? Because we can't satisfy our desire to please ourselves 
and the wickedness of our heart comes out in several different ways and causes divorce. The cause behind divorce is the wickedness of our hearts. And listen, divorced people, don't email me. All of us have wicked hearts. You don't have to be divorced to prove that. Okay, go through the line at McDonald's if you want to see that. I'm just saying. Ride in traffic for a little bit with me, and you'll see that. Right, so listen, I mean, today, I counsel, I've counseled hundreds of couples through divorce, post-divorce, you know, thinking about divorce. I've counseled all of it. And here's what I find. Sometimes people physically abuse their wives, which disgusts me. And I'm going to be honest, if there's a weakness I have as a pastor, that's it. I think if you will hit a woman, you are a maggot. Just being honest. Most pastors may not say that, but I think you should call right back underneath the rock you came from. That's what I think. I can't stand that. But sometimes women will be physically abused. And some pastors will say, well, the Bible says the only reason you can get divorced is for sexual immorality. So you're just going to have to stay there. And I'm like, uh, the heck with that. Get your butt out of there. Get out of that house. Don't, let, don't be his punching bag. Get out of that house. I'm not telling you to divorce him, but I will help you pack your bags and get out of that situation. No one needs to be beat on by some idiot. I will help move them out. That's the way I feel about it. I don't think, I think we forget these are people we're dealing with. These are people, you know? And hey, you know what? Let me tell you a little secret, ladies. If he's beating you and you leave and don't go back, it won't be long that he'll take care of their details. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, that's another sermon. Okay. Here's another thing we see that comes from our, 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 our wicked hearts that causes divorces. Mental abuse. People used to look at that when you would say, when you would say he or she is being mentally abused, and they'd be like, it's because they've never been there. I have met women who have been so degraded and so humiliated and pushed down for so long that they'd probably rather be beat than where they're at. And when women come to me broken like that, I say, honey, leave. I don't say divorce, so don't start texting me, Baptist. I'm just saying. I tell them, get out of that situation, get help, see if you can get that fixed. But don't live under that and let your, let your self-esteem be trashed. When God loves you as much as he loves him, you're just as important to God as he is. Get out of that situation, then see what happens. Try to work it out, right? But that's a result of our evil hearts. Listen, now, just so you know, there are men that get beat by their wives. And you stop laughing. That is not funny. I'm only smiling because your evil hearts are laughing. But I, I knew a guy who was big enough to eat hay. I'm not kidding you. He's a big dude. And his wife, when she would get mad, would throw stuff at him, cut him with stuff, hit him with stuff. And he really didn't want to hurt her. So he wouldn't fight back. And when you get... <laughs> I've been called over there before, and I went over there, and I'm like, what happened to you? And I'm thinking, man, what does she look like? And I look over there, and she's fine. And he's like, she was mad. I'm like, evidently. <laughs> evidently very mad. You know what I mean? So it does go both ways. I just didn't want to be a sexist there. I want to drop that bomb. But it does go both ways. Not as often, but it does. Here's another one that's, that's causing homes to be broken up that comes from the wickedness of our heart. Substance abuse. I have seen homes destroyed by substance abuse. People in and out of jail because their God, their spouse, has become a chemical or a drug. And they will 
their kids mean nothing to them. Their wife means nothing to them. Their husband means nothing to them. They'll spend every dime they have, including the kids' college fund if they have to. And when people come to me like that, I say, listen, I'm not telling you to divorce them, but you can get out of that mess. And maybe that will spark them to getting help. Now everybody's going to be calling me saying, oh, I heard you were preaching about reasons to leave. No, I'm not. I'm just saying we have to remember these are people. This isn't a bylaw we're dealing with. This isn't just looking up rules and trying to debate over who's right. These are human beings who have feelings and who have lives and who have children that are being influenced. And we have to remember something. They may be in a bad situation, maybe even caused by themselves. But if Christians show the love and mercy and kindness and grace of God, we would step in and try to help them instead of judge them. That's the way it should be. So that's why I wanted to cover that. Our hard hearts are still causing us problems and still bringing divorce into this world. Divorce doesn't just affect two people. It doesn't just affect two people. I always say it's like a grenade. If you throw it in a room, the shrapnel is going to go around and hit many people. Many, many people are affected and hurt by divorce. And we will deal with that topic as we move uh, further down through this message. Let's move on. Matthew 19, 9. Jesus said, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for what? Immorality. Immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. Now, let's look at that word for a minute. He says the only justifiable reason is for immorality. Right? Now, the word immorality in the Greek is the word pornea. Sound familiar? And what it means is sexual immorality. That's literally what it means. This should have been translated, uh, justifiable reason for divorce being sexual immorality. That's what it should have been. That, that's what it means. It means sexual immorality. This is where we get our word pornography from. Okay, pornea. So Jesus basically said, unless one of the two parties is having an infidelity, you should stay together and try to work it out. This is what he's talking about. Okay, now, this is his words. Now, understand how this works, because here's where it gets all messed up. If a spouse commits sexual immorality, the other is free in God's eyes to divorce them and remarry, because they are the offended party. Everybody with me on that? Okay, now, he says you can. It is lawful to. He doesn't say you have to. He doesn't say you must. And this is the problem. You're not looking for a golden ticket to get out. Right? If a lot of times infidelities, and I'm not, I'm not talking about any one case, but a lot of times both people have played a role in that. Sometimes not. Sometimes one's just a jerk. But if you want to forgive them, you can. You don't have to divorce them because of that infidelity you can work it out if you want to and if you choose to forgive them god will bless that you know why because he's all about forgiveness he really is now don't get mad and start emailing me saying you said i had to i'm not saying you have to do anything i'm saying that jesus said that you are free and justified to leave them if there's an immorality you don't have to though you can choose to forgive and god will bless that and he'll heal that but i want to remind you of something because this has come back and bit me many times. If you choose to forgive them, if you say, I'm going to forgive you, forgiveness is not a feeling. Did you know that? It's not a feeling. Because if someone hurts you, you will think about that for the next 30 years. Forgive and forget is a fantasy. Only God can do that. Okay? Forgiveness means 
to treat someone as if they've never harmed you. It means you are extending grace to them that they do not deserve, right? So when you say, I am choosing to forgive you and work through this marriage, that means you are choosing to forgive them, and you're not going to bring that up 50 times to your advantage as you move forward because it will not work. You know what I mean? If you choose to forgive them, and you don't have to, well, you have to sooner or later, but you don't have to kick them out when you, you know. But if you choose to forgive them and try to work that marriage out, forgiveness means you treat them like it didn't happen. That means you can't use that to get your way while you're trying to fix the marriage for the next five years. It will not work. That's, you know, kind of blackmail. Just throwing it out there. Okay? That doesn't make you popular, but that's the truth. Okay, let's move on. Now, here's some of the issues I really, I really, really think we need to deal with. Okay? Um, a lot of people... And a lot of churches and a lot of religion has really messed up what divorce really means as far as what the repercussions of that are. Okay, I've had churches literally tell their prisoners that if the only way you can be right with God after a divorce is to go find the person you divorced and remarry him. And I'm going, I, I don't know that's a good idea, you know. I mean, they literally tell them that. You will never be right with God until you go back and find the person you divorced and remarry him. That's stupid. Okay, that's dumb. Yeah, the divorce may have been for the wrong reason, whatever the case. But don't treat divorce like it's the unforgivable sin. It is a sin, like lying, like gossiping. Right? Everybody gets quiet when I say that. Yet we allow gossips to serve in the church all the time. Want me to name them? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? So here's the thing. Here's the thing. The Bible never says that. It never says that, you, that the only way you're going to be right, the only way you can ever be right with God again is to go back and marry the person you divorced. That's not what it says. All right? That, that's not what it says. When, even if you're the one that committed adultery and the divorce splits, you know, and the divorce happens, you can be forgiven. So listen, I'm, I'm going to shock all the over-ultra-conservatives. Listen, did you know God can forgive even divorce? Did you know that? Did you know God is bigger than divorce? Why do we act like that is the sin that sinks every ship? You know, people make mistakes. Together, couples make mistakes. They end up becoming divorced. They're not doomed for the lake of fire if that happens. And they can still be effective tools for God in ministry, in a church. Here's what it boils down to. Are you willing to confess that sin to God so that he can start blessing your life and put that behind you? Look, 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, what? We are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if you're one of those people that is judging someone who's been divorced, well, I can't believe that they're going to allow them to be a deacon. They've been divorced for blah, 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 blah. Those people don't talk to me because I have some famous loving words for them. Shut it. <laughs> right? But here's the deal. It says, if you think that because you haven't committed divorce, that you are innocent and sinless and worthy of serving God, let's open up the pages of your mind and tell them about the other sins you still have lingering around you. Yes, you're still married and you're still a sinner. You have no right to judge. Right? And verse 9, if we what? Confess. confess our sins. Do you know what that means? That doesn't mean confess and justify. Because a lot of people say, okay, 
technically, it was wrong for me to steal that. But he's got all kinds of money, and he never helps anybody, and he doesn't even miss it. That's not a confession. That is a justification that will get you nowhere. Confession means you say, God, what you said was right, and what I did was wrong. And I am sorry because I did not do what you asked me to do. I rebelled against you, and I deserve my punishment. But your word tells me if I confess, you will forgive me. And so I believe your word, and I'm coming to you confessing my sin. Listen, it says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Does it say all unrighteousness except divorce? Does it say all unrighteousness except for drug use? It says all what? All of it. If you are willing to say what I did was wrong and confess it, he will forgive it. And when God forgives it, it's over. So for me to tell you that they can't serve as deacons or pastors or whatever because they've been divorced is to say that God's forgiveness is not complete. Now, if God says, confess it and I will forgive you, I will believe him. And you may have been one of many things before you asked for forgiveness, but you know what you are now? Forgiven. That's what you are. And since God no longer sees your past, I won't hold it against you either. This has gotten blown so out of proportion. Divorce is hard enough. Church, don't add rules to it. You know, don't add punishment to it. Now listen, for whatever the reason of divorce, if you, if you can just confess that it was a mistake or whatever, or that, you know, it was a sin, God will cleanse you. And yes, can your next marriage be blessed? Absolutely. If you do it God's way, absolutely. But I do want to tell you that as with any sin, you will have to live with the consequences of divorce. And there are many. Right? Because Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is, mo is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this what? He will also reap. Okay? If you smoke for 40 years and swear off of it, will God help you quit? Sure. Will you get lung cancer? There's a good chance. You know what I mean? There's repercussions sometimes for what we do. One of the biggest lies ever told from the enemy, the devil, is that divorce ends problems. That is such a lie. All you got to do is divorce her and everything's going to be great in your life. That is a lie. Listen, how many people in here who have been divorced or know someone that's been divorced has seen the, the lifelong ramifications that come with it? The holidays. Awkward. <laughs> right? It's tough. I feel sorry for them. Except when I was a kid. This is terrible. I don't know why I'm even telling you this. But when I was a kid, I had friends that were divorced, and I'm like, so how many Christmases do you go to? And you get presents from all of them? And they go, yeah. And I'm like, man, I wish my parents would get divorced. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> Isn't that terrible? It's awful. But the truth is, I was a kid, and they did get a lot of presents. Just saying. But anyway, there is, it's just awkward. I mean, uh, graduations, celebrations, they're weird because everybody's going to be there, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? It's just a mess. But can God bless your life and forgive it? Absolutely, and it can move forward. Absolutely, it can. i tell you one of the hardest things is that it's like there's this, the broken vow and, and all the stuff, all the junk that's happened in that marriage, it's like that stuff floats around you for a while. You know what I mean? It really does. And 
you feel like everybody can see it. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just the guilt. But one of the things that's kind of shocked me is that most people, when they look back with, you know, the divorce kind of out of sight, I'm not talking to ask them two weeks after their divorce, that wouldn't be a good conversation. Years after the, after the divorce, most people can say, honestly, if I really would have tried, we could have saved it. As a matter of fact, there was a study done in the UK, and this is just 800 people, so imagine how much these numbers would change if there were more than that, but said that 22% of the 800 people regretted getting a divorce after they had time to think about it, right? It said that 40% of the divorce participants believed, in hindsight, the divorce was the wrong choice, right? It says that, same survey in the UK said that 54% of the participants uh, experienced second thoughts after getting a divorce, and it says 42% considered even giving the relationship another shot years after the divorce. Now, this just goes to show you that maybe sometimes we get in darkness and just don't look for a light switch. You know what I mean? And sometimes it can't be worked out. I'm not saying that. But the bottom line is divorce is a sin except for immorality. It's just a sin. But it can be forgiven to anyone who will confess it as a sin. They can, they can move on and have blessed lives after it's over. Unfortunately, though, you're never going to escape the consequences of that divorce. It's just the way it is. Now, a lot of people, i got to deal with this. A lot of people come in my office and they are angry at God about divorce. <laughs> that is so frustrating to me. It really is. Why did God allow me to pick him? Why did God allow me to have kids with him? Why did God allow me, blah, blah, blah. And I go, hold on, hold on, hold on. God, it's not God's fault at all. Let me explain this to you. Um, God laid out a plan for how we choose who we're going to be with for the rest of our life. Did you follow it? They go, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm a girl and he's a guy, right? He's hot, I'm hot. <laughs> Not how it works. God tells you who you should be dating. If you're a believer, you shouldn't be dating an unbeliever. Period. You know, I say, well, I think I can win him to Christ. We are not called to be evangelists to our future mates. Okay. Sorry, it is what it is. The Bible tells us you would be unequally yoked. You want to eat unequally yoked means? It means like trying to pull a wagon with a horse and a dog chained together. How's that going to work? It's unequally yoked, you'll be going in circles, right? So that's one thing he says, make sure they're a believer. Here's another thing, make sure they love God more than you. If you want your marriage to last, pick someone who loves you more than anyone except God. And if he loves God with all of his heart more than he loves you, he'll love you more than you could ever imagine. Because God is first in his life, or first in her life. So very, very important. Here's the other thing. Did you pray about it before you went on the hunt? Or did you just let the dogs go? <laughs> did you? Let's be honest. Did you pray about it or not? Because if you didn't pray about it, it's probably not going to work out very well. Here's another thing. Make sure they live what they profess. Because ladies, let me give you uh, some shocking information. We are manipulative to get what we want. We are dolls. They are, aren't we guys? Just confess it with me guys. To be honest, we've manipulated a girl or two. Maybe told him you made a little more money than you do, drove someone else's car, you know what I'm saying? Not that I did any of that, I just heard about it. Make sure they live what they say. Make sure... You're betting the rest of your life on it. 
Make sure that God is as important as they say he is. Because if, you want, or if you're after a good-looking girl or if you're after a good-looking guy and they say, hey, the only thing hindering me is are you a Christian, you're like, I am Billy Stinking Graham if you'll go out with me. <laughs> so you've got to make sure that they prove what they say. Stay engaged for a while. You will know no, there's, you, I mean, yes, people I say, oh, my mom and dad met and they were married two weeks. Great, call Hallmark and write a movie about it. Doesn't happen very often. Okay, give them a chance to prove who they are. Right, see them in different situations. See how they act when they get a, the wrong order at McDonald's. Right, see what they're like when they miss the nail with the hammer. See what that's like. You know, you've got to find out if they are genuine. Here's the other thing. Make sure they are treating you the way you want to be treated before you're married. Listen, I've had people come in, they go, oh, can you help me, Pastor? My husband's a drunk and he gambles and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow, did he do that before you were married? Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm a little confused. Well, I just thought I could change him. I'm like, yeah, how'd that work out for you? You know, people don't change unless Jesus changes them. Just being honest, they just, they, they, hey, I, you can become anything through Christ. Without him, you are what you are, right? And if they are physical with you, if they are jealous and possessive of you, and you are fighting more than anything else, dump them. Because that's what you're looking forward to after marriage. Trust me, okay? People will come in my office and blame God, and they have never followed any of these steps. They never prayed about it. They never made sure this person was serious. They never... They didn't, you know, make sure, test the waters, make sure that these people were who they said they were, right? But when the marriage falls apart, that's God's fault. When they cry that out, I can just hear God going, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> you didn't do one thing I told you to do. I am not taking the fall for this one. This one's on you, right? That is, I had to throw that in there because here's the thing. If you follow his steps, I promise you, you'll have a good marriage. If you let God be the center of it from the inception of it, you will have a good marriage, promise you that now before we close i want to cover this last section which i find funny because i'm weird but i think it's funny okay he, look his disciples hear all this and their response is basically man it ain't worth it i want to be married <laughs> that's their response matthew nineteen ten. the disciples said to him if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this it's better not to marry <laughs> but he said to them not all men can accept this statement, but only to those whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs. Do you all know what a eunuch is? Oh, man, you don't. I've got to explain it this time, don't I? I dodged that in the first service. A eunuch is someone, <laughs> who, someone who's castrated. Kind of cut out the temptation. Sorry, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't, couldn't pass that. I'm sorry. Anyway, that's what it is. Okay? We're done. I'm not saying anything else. Okay? It says, not all men can accept, accept this statement, but only those to whom it, was, uh, it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, or people who are born without the desire, um, or born without the ability, um, born that way <laughs> from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, Kings would put people in charge of their harem. And so they wouldn't be tempted to mess with their harem, they would make them a eunuch. Right? So, moving on. And there, 
And there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. That means there are some people who didn't want any distractions. And, wow. <laughs> but he's saying, <laughs> he's saying, if here's your options, guys. Your options are marry God's way or stay unmarried. But you better be the kind that can. Because here's, here's the, the bare truth of it all. Men are sexually attracted to women, and women are sexually attracted to men. And that's not dirty. That's not bad. That is God-ordained. It, God saw it, and it was good. I mean, you know what I mean? But it was designed for a husband and a wife, one man and one woman. That's what it was designed for. And when it's like that, it is good. But trust me, it will not work if you don't have the capability to stay out of a relationship God's way you better get married because the desire is not going anywhere. And the Apostle Paul actually said this. Now, listen, just write this. I want to make sure we clear this up. I'm not telling you go find someone to marry for that. <laughs> I'm just saying find the right person so that that doesn't end up taking you over. Anyway, I'm going to move on before I put myself in a bigger hole. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now, concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of... Immoralities, which we know is porneia, which we know means sexual immorality. Did somebody say porn? <laughs> You're missing it. That's where we get that word. No, it's, if it says immoralities, it's talking about sexual immoralities. So it says, but because of sexual immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. Okay, so what he's saying, what he's saying here is that that's a natural desire in men and women, and you should find the person God has for you, do it the right way, let God be the center of it, so that those immoralities won't take you over and put you in sin. So he's saying that's the way you handle that problem, or there's plan B, the unit club, right? So the disciples probably hear this and they go, yeah, I'll find a wife. I'm good. I'm going to start looking tomorrow. You know, so that's, that's what he had to say about it. I don't know. I just thought that last section was funny. I, maybe, maybe I'm childish, which I am. You know, I'm immature, I'll admit it. But I just think, I think that's really funny because that bold statement, you know, they come out, well, why even get married? And Jesus is going, let me tell you. <laughs> you know, so anyway, today's message, though, it, I wasn't trying to make light of divorce. I just wanted to make sure everyone understood that, yes, the Bible does speak to divorce. And churches need to speak to it more often too listen if you've been through a divorce whether it was a justifiable reason according to scripture or not if you love jesus you can make that right and he can bless you and use you powerfully and no one has the right to judge you i've never looked at a divorced person as less than me uh, I ne i've never looked at them as greater than me i look at them as my brothers and sisters in christ and i love them and i want to serve beside them right because everybody has sin or has a problem in their life and we've got to stop judging those people and start embracing them if we want to do anything for God in this world. We've got to stop boycotting and, and fighting, and we've got to actually start trying to come together on the things we do agree on. Because if we don't, we're going to spend so much time fighting that people stop hearing about Jesus, and that's just not acceptable. We've got to get past that. Divorce does not scar you for life, does not make you 
you know, the scarlet letter, blasphemous person. It's just a sad reality of this world, right? And if, it, if you're a victim to it, God can turn that around. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and close there. I'm going to ask if you would to please bow your heads. If this is your first time here, we always like to give an invitation. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, why would anybody come up after a sermon like that? It was about divorce, man, and eunuchs. Here's the thing. You just never know how God's going to speak to people and through what. When I was preaching through the book of Hebrews, it's not a salvation book. And we had several people come to Christ because here's what it boils down to. When God wants to speak to you, he will speak to you. And when he reveals to your heart that you're not where you need to be, that's the time to respond. Now, we're not going to point anybody out or have anybody come down front, but while every head is bowed, if there's someone here who'd like me to pray for them because they're not sure where they stand, just slip your hand up or just make eye contact with me, and I will pray for you. Bless those people. I'm not going to chase you down after church or email you. Bless those people. I just fully believe that when you hear his voice, some kind of step, bless those people, is important. Very important. And if you're listening or watching online, God knows your heart. I'll be praying for you too. But I'll tell you what I really want to pray for when it comes to believers today is that we have got to stop. We've got to change the way we view things. We're all about the do's and don'ts. We're all about the who's right and who's wrong. And we're not much about the love and grace of God anymore. And listen, it doesn't matter if it's divorce or addiction. It doesn't matter what's wrong in people's lives what matters is jesus is the solution that's what matters and i'm going to pray that we become more solution oriented we start to see people as potentially our brothers and sisters in christ or as brothers and sisters that need restored back into the unit let's pray god i thank you so much for all that you do i am amazed that you can love me Every day I realize I don't deserve this. Every day I prove that without you, I could have never made it. Your grace is amazing to me, and I'm so thankful for it. I just pray, God, if there's someone here or listening online or watching online that doesn't know you, no doubt they've had so many religious things thrown at them. God, I just pray that that's all cleared out of their head. Your word made us a very simple promise that if we would believe, we would have eternal life. So if they can just trust that what you did was enough to guarantee their eternal life, God, you have promised to give it to them, and it's that simple. And if they make that decision today, I pray they contact us. If they're a long way from here, I pray they contact a good Christian friend or organization. Well, none of us are meant to walk this path alone. And God, for those of us who are believers, it, it is so easy to look right past our flaws and pick others apart. God, no matter what the situation, give us hearts that are about restoration, hearts that are about evangelism and, and drawing people into the kingdom, and give us the wisdom to leave the judgment to you. God, when people hear us speak, see the things we do, I pray they see your actions and hear your words. We are here to glorify your name. Help us to be those kind of people. We just pray that you would go with us to our homes and our stay places, keep us safe. And if you don't return to take us home before we meet one more time, I just pray we come together excited to give you all the praise and glory you're so worthy of. We just thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.